It has been a joy, an absolute joy. Pastor Kathy Monk, thank you so much for having me. I consider it an honor, privilege to be with you ladies. Thank you. Thank you for being so awesome and so welcoming and, and looking after me so well. Aisha and uh, Melissa, you've been doing great. And, and the boys who've been driving me have been amazing. What an experience. So good. I mean, God has been giving us a feast, hasn't he? You know, like the Bible says that man won't, um, does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And we've been having a feast of the word of God. And there's more. It's like, it's like another course that's going to come to finish us off <laughs> before we have to go lie down. <laughs> But, um, yeah, why don't you just turn to the lady next to you and say, look, this is going to be for you. <laughs> Can we put that, to, that Corinthian scripture up, the, the conference scripture, please, if you've got it there? The um, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11. I didn't, um, I didn't put it in my notes. They're bound to have it, aren't they? There it is. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. And I'm speaking to you as plainly as I can with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. Last night, we talked about the storms of life that can come and derail us. And this morning, what did we talk about? No, literally, I forgot. Oh, no, that's right. <laughs> we talked about how God wanted to give us our laugh back. And I am so taking that on board. And then we talked about issues that tried to derail us and keep us small. And tonight, I want to tackle another another factor that tries to derail us and stop us from living a wide open life. But let me just give you some scriptures, some bread that talks about the life that God has for us. This is what it says in John 14 verse 13, uh, 12. It says, Jesus speaking, very truly I tell you, Equipper, 2018, that whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these. Because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. I'm going to say that again. You will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Whew. Psalm 18 verse 35. The psalmist says, you give me your shield of victory and your right hand sustains me. You stoop down to make me great. Hebrews 12.1 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Wide open living. Let me just start, I'm going to um, just share with you our key scripture for tonight. It's found in Ephesians 5, verse 14. 
And this is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Let me just start from the beginning. This is why it is said, wake up. Somebody say, wake up. Sleeper and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Somebody say wise. wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, all bad things. Instead... Be filled with the Spirit. If we flick back a chapter, in Ephesians 4 verse 1, it says, As a prisoner of the Lord then, this is Paul speaking to the Ephesian church and speaking to us through the Holy Spirit. As a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy. Someone say worthy. Of the calling that you have received. Have you ever seen an accident waiting to happen. I mean, maybe it's, it was uh, your child or some toy that's been left at the bottom of the stairs. And you thought to yourself, that is an accident waiting to happen. Maybe one of you have, has been in an accident like that. Or maybe you've been walking around the house with an, up, with an upturned plug somewhere and you've been without shoes and you've just... Anybody? You know, it's always that skateboard that's just kind of lying around or... Sometimes we, we've got situations in our lives that you just look at it and you go, that is an accident waiting to happen. Have you ever seen somebody make a really bad choice? You know, you love this person, maybe it's a friend of yours, maybe it's a family member, and uh, maybe they're kind of getting into a relationship or, or, or maybe they're making some choices about what kind of life they want to live and you're just like, oh. and it's everything in you that just wants to go, no, it's like a car crash going in slow motion and you're like, don't do it. Has anybody been in a situation like that? I wonder if there's somebody that you know that used to be in a meeting just like this and isn't. Maybe there's a spare seat next to you and you thought, you know what, One, once upon a time, we used to be going in the same direction. Once upon a time, my friend, my relative, my daughter, my mother, my sister, used to be right here. This is what I think that can derail us from living the life that God has for us, is that we don't fully understand how important we are. We don't fully understand our significance, that we are 
significant. The Bible says, do not be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, don't be unwise, but be wise. And, and sometimes I think to myself, well, isn't that quite obvious? Isn't that obvious that we want to be wise? We don't want to be unwise. Isn't it obvious that, that being drunk with wine or is going to lead us down a path that we don't want to go? Isn't it obvious that the, being filled with the Holy Spirit is, is better? Isn't it obvious? Why would the Holy Spirit have to say it? Why would Paul have to say it to the Ephesian church? Why would we have to know it now? And I think it's because sometimes we can be so flippant. So flippant with the things that God has given to us. The life, this open, wide open living that God has given to us because we don't fully understand who we are. It reminds me of an account that we find in the Bible. There were two brothers. Two brothers born, and they weren't just brothers, but they were twins. And these twins were not just any twins. They were twins that were born to a wealthy family. And these twins were not just born to a wealthy family, but they were, they were born to a chosen family. The grandfather had been plucked out of obscurity by the living God and been given a promise. And these twins not only were wealthy, but they were carriers of a promise. This is what the Bible says. Something happened to these twins. The firstborn was called Esau. The secondborn was called Jacob. And the Bible tells us that the firstborn has a very, very sweet position. The firstborn inherits all of their father's worldly possessions. He gets the father's blessing for the firstborn because it's a special blessing. He gets, uh, because of this special family being selected by God, the firstborn also has the future possession of the promised land. And not only that, but for generations, they are the carrier of the covenant between God and Abraham. This, the firstborn in this family is a very, very sweet gig. It's a very important position. It's a very powerful position. The Bible tells us that the firstborn Esau, he is a man's man. He likes to hunt. He's hairy. He's hairy, he's hunting, <laughs> and he's hungry. The second born is like, he likes to cook. There's nothing wrong with that. God bless men who can cook. He likes to cook, he doesn't like to hunt very much. He likes to hang around in, near the tents. But this secondborn, he wants something that his brother's got. He wants his brother's birthright. He wants the blessing of the firstborn. And when he decides that that is exactly what he's going to do, he's going to take his brother's birthright, he stages it very carefully. Now let's just put aside the fact that God knew that Jacob was going to get it. Park that 
Let's just think about what Jacob did. He waits. He knows that his brother is out hunting and that when his brother comes back, that he's going to be hungry. We're not talking just a little bit peckish. We're talking hungry, 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 hungry. This guy is going to feel so hungry that he is going to not be in his right mind kind of hungry. Have you, do you know anybody like that when they get hungry? They're not in their right mind. That's me. Whenever I'm, you know, losing perspective, my husband literally will say, do you need to eat? I know. It's, it's rude. But anyway, so... <laughs> so he stages it. He cooks his brother his favorite meal. Can you imagine the, the smells? Just like when you walk into, when you used to walk into your house when you're a kid and your, your mum's been cooking and you're like, this smells amazing. He cooks his brother's favorite meal and when his brother comes, he's like stirring, stirring. And his brother's like, I can't see straight. He's so hungry. He's like, give me this stew. Let's pick it up. Where it is? It's in Genesis 25. In, uh, it says, one day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. All right, Jacob replied. But, I love it, this is for you, and he's like, all right, just chill, he said, I made it for you, and then he's kind of like, but just one more thing, just one thing, and he says, um, all right, but trade me your rights as the firstborn, Esau doesn't hesitate, he says, look, I am dying of starvation, what good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and stew, and Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Can you believe this? There are some things in the Bible that you read it and you think, that is insane. Like, why? Why would you give all of that up? Why would you trade your rights as a firstborn, all of your father's worldly possessions, this blessing that only comes to the firstborn, the carrier of the covenant between God and Abraham, the carrier of the promise, the promised land, for goodness sake. Why would you trade that in for a bowl of soup? How is that even possible? But this is what happens. This is what can derail us. This is what can, can keep us from the life that God happens has for us is that we can be exactly the same. That we can give up this incredible life that God has given us, this incredible inheritance, this salvation, this eternal life, this grace, this promise. We can give that all up in a moment of weakness. In a moment 
where we're in need. In a moment where we just want something to satisfy. We just want something just to, to fill that void that we feel right now. Maybe when you're tired, there's a bowl of soup waiting for you. And it's going to fill you in the moment. But it's also going to make you despise your inheritance. It's going to be a trade of momentary satisfaction for the very life that God has for you as a daughter and a child of God. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you've been waiting and waiting and waiting for a prayer that you've been asking God for. Maybe he's given you a promise. Maybe um, you're single in this place and, and God's given you a promise that, you, that you're going to serve with your, with your spouse and you're going to do great things together. But you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and then all of a sudden... Tasty little bowl of soup comes walking along. <laughs> and you're like, what good is my birthright to me now? I'm lonely now. So what if I want somebody to tell me I'm pretty? So what if I want somebody to make a fuss of me? What good is my promise to me now? So maybe you're tired, maybe you're frustrated, maybe you're lonely. Whatever it is that you find yourself in a weakened state, there will always be a bowl of soup. And why would anybody in their right mind trade all that God is and all that God has and all that God has given us? What, in, what would cause a person to do that? One thing, that you don't understand who you are and you don't understand how important you are and you don't understand how significant that you are because you start to tell yourself some things. You start to tell yourself, it's my life. You start to tell yourself, it's my body. You start to tell yourself, it's, if I'm not hurting anybody else, then, then it, it's nobody else's business. You start telling yourself, if, if I do it in private, nobody knows, then what's the harm? It's my life. These are my feelings. If I'm not hurting anybody, then what is the big deal? But I want to encourage you from this story that you are significant. That this is not, this is your life and you're absolutely right. The choice is yours. But I want you to remember something. 
Equip Her 2018 for every woman in this place. It is your life, but it's not just yours. It is your life, but the Holy Spirit will want to encourage you and remind you that it's not just yours. This is what it says in Genesis 12. We're going to go quickly, so I need you to stay with me. In Genesis 12, verse 1 to 3, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. A little bit later, Abraham Abram is no longer Abram, he is Abraham. And now in Genesis 22 verse 17, it's God speaking, says, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. A little bit further on, in Genesis 25, verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered her, his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? A good question. So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. I know, right? It's a lot of people. <laughs> a little bit further on, Genesis chapter 35, verse 11. And God said to him, this is Jacob, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you. Kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. It is your life, but it is not just yours. God will tell you and remind you that actually there is a nation within you. And it is important how we live. You see, our society thinks individualistic. Our society thinks, you know, that this, we're all compartmentalized. And we bring that into the church. But one thing you have to understand is that our God is not an individual God per se. He is a generational God. What does it say somewhere down here? It says in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. If I was the devil, which you'd be pleased to know, I'm not. <laughs> but if I was the devil, I would make you feel insignificant. I would make you feel like it doesn't matter. I mean, come on. Really? Like, who are you anyway? I mean, there's a whole bunch of people passionate for Jesus. I mean, what does it really matter what I do? What does it really matter how I live? What does it really matter what I do with my body? What does it really matter what I look at 
when nobody is watching? What does it really matter how I speak to my family? What does it really matter how I handle conflict or pressure or what I do to let off steam? Surely, I'm so insignificant in the scheme of things. How does it really affect anybody? If I was the devil, I would make you believe that that was true. But God is not an individual God. He is a generational God. And when he speaks to you, he speaks to you and the nation that is inside you. It is your life, but it's not just yours. There is a nation inside of you. Why don't you turn to one of your girlfriends and say, there's a nation in you. No fat jokes. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5. That's why it is said, wake up. If I was a devil, I'd have you all sleepy and and dulled and, and lulled into this state of insignificance. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I loved um, the offering for Tonga. Is it um, Daphne? I love it. She said, I'm doing it because I can. (laughs) Someone who knows her significance. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. But, be, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine that leads to debauchery and stupidity and mistakes and regrets and, and somebody who's living a life way below their value. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. You are part of a nation. Did you know that? That you are part of a divine relay race. Who, give me a wave if you're first generation Christian in this place. Me too. What you may not realize, I don't know if you, if you ever did this because I know I did it. I used to feel a little bit sad. I used to always feel a little bit sad because I didn't have a legacy. Um, my husband is second generation Christian. His father... Uh, and his mother, I think his mother as well, a first generation. Um, his parents were pastors, uh, yeah, were pastors. And uh, I'm just fascinated. I'm just fascinated with the, with the legacy. I just love legacy. I love it when I hear people and they say, you know, I'm fourth generation and, you know, my grandmother used to come and pray for me and tell me that I had greatness. I love those stories. I love them. And I get a little bit sad sometimes. I don't know if any of the other ladies who raised their hand for for being first generation Christian felt like I do, but I was like, oh, I wish I had someone like that. 
can I just say that you do? Because you're part of a nation of faith. That the minute you said yes to Jesus, that you were adopted into a family, into an incredible legacy, into incredible heritage, into a brand new bloodline. This is what the Bible says. If you belong to Christ, this is in Galatians 3.29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the very promise that God gave to Abraham that was passed on through Isaac and Jacob and down through the generations, that is our promise in Christ. We are now part of the family. We are now part of the nation of faith and we are part of a divine relay race. When you look at Hebrews 11 and you look at that chapter with the heroes of faith, those are our ancestors. They have run their race so that we could run our race. Somebody paid a price for us to be here. Somebody paid a price for you to be here. And even though you might be brand new to this family of God, let me tell you, and you thought you just rocked up, nobody just rocks up. Nobody just rocks up. Somebody paid a price. Somebody prayed. Somebody believed. Somebody rent the heavens with their prayers. Somebody cried out to God. Somebody lived a life that was worthy of the calling that God had given them. Somebody paid a price to run their race. In order to pass on the baton to you and I, this doesn't just happen. In the soil of New Zealand, it's wet, it's saturated with prayer. It's saturated with with sacrifice. It's saturated with the lives of men and women who said yes to the call of God when they could have said no. And who said no to the bowls of soup when they could have said yes. Somebody paid a price for you to be here. And now it's our turn. But we have to understand that it matters how we live and it matters how we run our race. It matters what we do in private. It matters what we do when we're under pressure. It matters what we do and it matters what we don't do. You know, you could look at me and you go, oh, wow, Sophie, you're running your race. But do you know that it can look like you're running your race? But do you know that you're not? Maybe you're going for a walk. Maybe you're like, I'm doing enough. You know, I go to church. I'm in my e-group. You know, I read my Bible occasionally. You know that God's asking things of you. Maybe bowls of soup that you are participating in. And you're like, oh, it's only soup. 
come on. But you're not running your race. Can I just say it matters how you live? Because it is your life, but it's not just yours. There's a nation inside of you. I know that this changed for me when I had children. Because I thought, I don't want them to have to run a race that was harder because I could not make the choice. Or I made the wrong choice. You see, we've got this legacy of faith. All our ancestors, all of our forefathers that have gone before us, all the ones who believed the promise, all the ones that, that, that gave their lives for the gospel. And then the baton comes into our hands. How are you going to run? The Bible says, run with perseverance, the race marked out for you. But so many times we can be running and we can be looking over at somebody else's race and going, hey, their race is better than my race. They've got better gear. They've got a better figure than me. It looks so much easier for them. My race is really hard. I don't like my race. I've got lots of things that I've got to overcome. There's lots of stuff in my lane. <laughs> this person's sailing through. He's got nothing. And we start to compare our lives to other people. And we're like, this is just not fair. And we can be like dawdling around our race. We can be like, you know, looking over here, looking over there. But we are not running our race with perseverance. And there is somebody on the other line like this, waiting. I've seen people pick up their baton and they start running their race. And they were doing really well. And then something cut in on them. And all of a sudden, they were like, this is really hard. This is really unfair. I didn't sign up for this. I don't really like my marriage anymore. I don't really like my spouse anymore. My spouse doesn't really understand me doesn't value me, doesn't like me, I don't think. We're both miserable. How is this God's will? Yeah, I'm out. And we say things to ourselves like, it doesn't really matter. God, God wants me to be happy, right? Surely God would want my... Oh, I know my kids... But God will look after my kids. And then down here, some people are like, well, what's the use anyway? Gosh. My parents can't even. Or, they go, God, you've got something for me. So what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to go back. And I'm going to have to run a longer, harder race than I ever had to do. But I'm going to do it because there's a nation in me. And I do not want 
the next generation to face what I had to face. Can I tell you that there is a bowl of soup waiting for you? But this is what happened to our forefathers. Moses, you think you're insignificant hiding in the wilderness, rejected by your own people, a murderer, but God made you a prince of Egypt. You are significant because there is a nation in you. Joseph, rejected, falsely accused, forgotten. Hang in there, Joseph, because you are significant. There is a nation in you. Gideon, you are insignificant in your own eyes, the least of the least of the least of the least. But you are a deliverer, Gideon. You are a mighty warrior, Gideon. You are significant, Gideon, because there is a nation in you. David, insignificant shepherd boy, forgotten by his own family, but I'm going to put my spirit on you. You are significant, and there is a nation in you. Jeremiah, you might be young, but don't say that you're too young because you are significant. There is a nation in you. Esther, you might think that you are just a pretty face, but you are significant because there is a nation inside of you. Ruth, you're not just a good daughter. You're not just a faithful daughter, but there is a nation inside of you. Daniel, you're in captivity, but there is a nation inside of you. Mary, you think you're just a teenager. You think you're in the backwater. You think you're in an insignificant town. What good could possibly come out of Nazareth? But Mary, there is a holy nation inside of you. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Mary, it matters. Mary, it matters how you live. It matters what you believe. It matters what you say yes to. We're all depending on you, Mary. If you drop the baton, this doesn't happen. Somebody paid a price for us to be here. Somebody had to overcome their own insignificance just to say, Lord, I will believe. I will run the race with perseverance. It's not just your life because there is a nation inside of you. Can I just encourage you as we finish, charge you, urge you, Wake up. Wake up. It is no coincidence that you are here. It is no coincidence that you are in the kingdom for such a time as this. Wake up. You're not here to live a good life. You're not here to live a nice life. You're not here to live a Christian. I don't even know what it is, but it's this kind of thing that we think that, you know, if we just come to church and if we just, you know, you know, be nice to people, that that's enough. That's not what Jesus gave his life for. He gave his life to put his spirit on you so that you would be his ambassadors in Jerusalem, Judea, in Samaria, in the other parts of the world. He's not interested in your insecurities. He's not interested necessarily in what you think your personality is and what you're not, your personality is. All he is interested in is somebody who is going to say yes to him. Somebody who's going to say no to the bowls of soup in their life. Somebody who's going to run their race. Somebody.
Hallelujah. This is what I like about women's meetings, get-togethers. This is what it's for. It's for courage. It's for each and every one of us to look each other in the eye and say, I see what God has put inside you. And the way you are living is so beneath you. Run your race because it matters. Somebody is depending on you to run your race. And not only that, but we've got a, the Bible says we've got a cloud of witnesses all telling us, come on, you can do it. Sometimes the storms of life Sometimes the storms of life come and we're like, God, I just don't think I've got it in me. But then the Spirit of God comes. Jesus comes. And he says to Letha, daughter, strength and it's not about what you can do. It's going to be all about me and what I can do in you. Just get up. Baby girl, I can, I can heal that heart. Do you know what? The enemy had a weapon and he formed it against you. But do you know what? No weapon formed against you is going to prosper. Baby girl, get up. Get up. Get up. In my strength. In my power. Get up. Get up, get up, because you've got to run your race. You've got to run your race, baby girl, because there's a nation inside of you. There are people waiting for you. Get up, baby girl. I'm going to put my spirit on you. I'm going to make you brand new. Get up, baby girl. Woman of God, get up. Wake up and get up. Enough is enough. How long are you going to stay on the ground? How long are you going to say, but it's not fair? How long are you going to say, but they got it easier than me? How long are you going to say, it doesn't matter? How long? Enough is enough. that have gone before us and they're saying get up this is not a race for the faint hearted this is not a race that we're not tiptoeing through the tulips here you know we're not making daisy chains 
putting it on each other's hair and braiding each other's hair. Now we've got a job to do. We're here to make an impact. We are here to bring heaven to earth. We are here to speak to death and say life in Jesus' name. We are here to speak to the hopeless and say hope in Jesus' name. We are here to speak to the broken and say healing in Jesus' name. We are here to run our race. No more excuses. Get up, baby girl, get up. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Let's say no to our bowls of soup. Not today, sunshine. I see you coming. Like Joseph and Potiphar's wife. She was like, hey, baby. What did Joseph do, our forefather? He ran. I'm telling you, when those bowls of soup come, don't try and have a conversation. Don't say this is not going to happen today. No, you just run. Not today. I see you coming, devil. I see you coming with your bowl of soup. I see you coming. But if I have that, I will be hungry again. But Jesus. My Jesus, my Jesus in the rain, in the storm, my Jesus in my pain, in my hardship, my Jesus, He alone satisfies. My Jesus, my Jesus, my Jesus gives me everything that I need. He alone has.